Welcome to the Agile Wire, where professional scrum trainers Jeff Bubbles and Jeff Molesky discuss agile topics. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Bubbles and Jeff Molesky. And we are recording. All right, Mr. Bubbles, go ahead and kick us off, man. All right, so we got Danny Vacante uh, back on the podcast, and Danny really doesn't need another introduction, but Daniel's one of the creators of Kanban. I was back at Microsoft in 2007, has been working with uh, Kanban for a long time, now works with also works with Scrum.org, and is starting his own professional training organization, Pro Kanban. So we're going to be diving into all that a little bit here, Daniel. Um, but you know, we got you on. And so Jeff and I were just like, let's get some free consulting. You know, like we got some <laughs> questions for you and uh, you're an expert and we think we know what we're talking and how we about and what we would, how we'd answer these questions, but we'd like to get your opinion. So um, I got a, a question. So I, I work with, I'm working with a client right now and the, their sales is always asking, when can you start? Like, when can you start this brand new project? This uh, new statement of work gets signed and we want you to do this thing. Um, and we have a Kanban board and we have policies and we have whip limits and we're tracking our cycle time, our work item age, all those things, right? But like, what's the next step? What would you, how would you answer that question if someone asked you that? Yeah, man, you could, you could, I, I forgot about this last time. You just come, come right out of the gate, don't you? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Speaking of the, oh, and by the way, th- thanks for having me here again. Maybe, maybe, maybe I should hold off on the things. Um, but, uh, you yeah, know, it's it, it's good to be here. And for the free consulting, the one part you forgot about in my introduction, it does it does say sucker right across here. So, yes, happy to give you guys as much free consulting as you need. Uh, so let's let's talk about that, that question. Um, maybe, um, when can we start? So, I think in the last episode, and you guys will have to remember, uh, re- remind me, I think we talked, we talked about, um, a book that I wrote called when will it be done? Mm-hmm. Um, because that's most often, that's the most important question that our customers ask, but I, I, I hope I alluded to it. Maybe I didn't, but the next book I'd like to write, if I ever write another book, um, is what I think is the much more important question, which is when should we begin? Right. Everybody's mm-hmm. focused on, hey, when will it be done? Um, but a much, 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 much more, more important question, I think, is when should we begin? Um, and focusing on done is, you know, it's, it's kind of Agile's fault and, dare I say, Scrum's fault even, you know, because we've got this thing, definition of done, and it's, it's so important. But um, I, I really do think uh, a, a more important policy or, or whatever you want to call it is you're What's your definition of ready? You know, what does it what does it what does it even mean to be ready? So when I think about answering the question, when should we begin? It's a function of at least two things, and this is just off the top of my head because, of course, you didn't let me prep for any of these questions. <laughs> um, it's really a function of two things. So we were talking on the uh, on the intro um, a little bit about before I think before this started uh, controlling work in progress. Right, this this idea of controlling work in progress and uh, and the way that you're going to drive efficiency, effectiveness, predictability, all that all, all those things. Well, one of the one of the best ways to do that is by controlling work in progress. Uh, once you control work in progress, then you're going to create. If you do a, a decent job of it, you're going to create what's called a a pull system. Um, and the reason the pull system is so important is because. When you're controlling work in progress, you're hopefully controlling WIP, if I can say WIP. You're hopefully controlling WIP um, at the level of capacity uh, of your team, of your organization, of your portfolio, whatever you want to call it. Um, and we can maybe dive a little bit deeper into this if you guys want to. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure how deep to go. But, um, but 
if we're controlling work in progress to the level of our capacity, um, then we're creating what's called a pull system. And when will it begin, or, or sorry, when should it begin is really answered by, okay, when do we have capacity as signaled by our, um, our work in progress limit? So if our, I'm just making this up, right? If our work in progress limit for our team board is six and there are only five things on the board, that's a pretty good indication. It's not always, it's not always an indication, but it's generally a pretty good indication that we can start something new. If our work in progress limit is six and there are 20 things on the board, that's a really, really good indication that we probably shouldn't be starting something. Mm-hmm. Um, and you guys, by the way, interrupt me because I, you know, I will just babble. Well, I will take up the whole. <laughs> so here's, here's what I'll, I'll lead. Most organizations that we run into, they come in and they have a work in progress problem and mm-hmm. they have way too much going on. And so one of our first steps is, okay, let's start and put some work in progress limits. Let's try to manage that flow. And we always usually want that number to be lower. Like it's usually not like, oh, you need to get more work in progress. That's your solution. That's, <laughs> I've never actually seen that happen. Um, and so, but then the, so as you break that down, you're saying, well, we're going to finish something, but we're not going to start something else. Cause you know, maybe we have 30 things in progress and we want to get it down to 10. So now that's a really long time, right. To get that down to before we can start something. Yep. And so an approach that I normally take is, well, let's take it incrementally. Let's, okay, we're at 30, let's get it to 25 and then let's take some new work on and let's get up to like maybe 26 or 27 and then let's go down to 22 next time and then let's take some more work. Mm-hmm. You know, what is your approach to something like that? Um, I'm, I'm probably a little bit more hardcore than that um, <laughs> just because I'm just mostly because I'm impatient and I'm really, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, that I, I, I you know, I, the Italian in me just wants to punch people in the face, you know, when, when I, when I see things like that. Um, I, I forget where I saw the heuristic. I want to, I want to credit Don Reinertsen with this. Um, I don't know if, if any, if everybody out there, if you don't know who Don Reinertsen is, if, if you're a student of flow and you don't know who Don Reinertsen is, you really need to go figure out who Don Reinertsen is. He is, <laughs> he is the Don of flow. Um, and a lot of my thinking has been influenced by, uh, by, by Don's work. And so I want to attribute this heuristic to him, but, but I'm not sure. Do not quote me on this. Please, please do not quote me on this. But I could have sworn he or somebody said, a good place to start is just to take your work in progress and cut it in half. Mm-hmm. Right? Just, just that, that, that's, just, that's, just, that's as, good as, as good as any to, to start. Um, I, my, me personally, um, especially when I'm working with teams, I love to start with a, with a blank whiteboard. And just as a team, figure out, okay, um, you know, let's map out our processes, decide how we want to work. And now let's, let's, let's decide, okay, what is, what is our policy in terms of how many things we want in progress? And if that number is six and there are 30 things on the board, well, then we need to figure out, okay, what, what are those six most important things? And let's, let's, just, let's just focus on, on those things. I'm, I'm kind of a fan of that, but that's, it's, it's fairly dr- drastic and... I'm, I'll be honest with you. I don't know how well it works, but I like to, you know, I like to get in there and 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 make the make the change as quickly as possible. I'm not a, yeah. I'll I'll leave it at that. So out of curiosity, Jeff, um, thinking about the 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 original question that you were throwing out there, you know, when when can we start this? Wouldn't and for, for sorry, the question is for both of you though. Really, wouldn't it be as simple as looking at your departure rate? And saying, okay, if, if we three things leave our workflow every five days or whatever it is, that's the soonest we can get started with it. Like, is it 
or am I missing something inside of here? If I, if I may, if I can jump in, you're close. <laughs> you're about mm-hmm. 80% there. The thing that we have to, you have to make sure though, is that if, if three things leave and three things come in, then that means whatever whip is in your system is stable. And that means that that's what you want it to be. So if you have 30 things in progress, but you only want six, you know, if three things leave and three things come in, you're still going to have 30 things in progress. Okay. Um, so the assumption so, would be as long as you're adhering to the whip limit, then your departure rate is when you can pull the next thing in. You got it. You got okay. it. And um, sorry, Jeff, are you going to... Yeah, I was so going to jump in and say, say like... B, B and M, is that how... Sure, you can... You, whatever? I, I love it. <laughs> we'll answer to whatever you call okay, us. Right, yeah. <laughs> For better or worse. Um, so uh, to my experience, so like, especially when we're doing this, like, it's never stable. Like the the world is changing too fast. The teams, the people leave, people get hired, like stuff happens. And, um, and so it's like, well, let's adjust the whip limits here. Let's put them down here. And so it's like, there's always this fluctuation. And so you always have to be taking that with a grain of salt. So just saying off of departure rates, I mean, that could be a guide, but I think you also have to like, look at like what actually happened. And then like, you're always making changes to the system. And I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to totally geek out on some, some metric stuff, little sauce specifically on, on you get for you guys here. Um, and uh, if, if you go, if you go and read the proof of Little's Law, because I know you have nothing better to do than to, you know, go look up the proof of Little's Law from 1961. Um, and Little actually published several updates to uh, to his proof over the years. Um, Little's Law is, by the way, it's, it's coming up on its 50th, an- 50th anniversary. No, 60th anniversary. 60th, yeah. 60th anniversary, right. It's 50th anniversary. It's the- anyway, um, there's some, some key things that you, you really need to look for in your process for, for Little's Law to be valid. Um, and one of these things is arrival rate to match departure rate, but it's not instantaneous arrival rate and not instantaneous departure rate. It's mm-hmm. actually long-term averages. Um, and so, Jeff B., <laughs> I think that's what, what you were talking about, is, yeah, just, just because three things leave doesn't necessarily mean three things can come in. But you know, over the long term, if on average... Our um, our departure rate is roughly equal to our arrival rate. That's one good indication. That's one pretty good indication that we have that we've got good flow. It's not. It doesn't guarantee it. It's not. It's not sufficient. Um, but it's 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 one good. It's one good key indicator for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, should, you, we should do a, a show on deep dive of Little Slot, by the way, sometime. If you guys if you guys want to, just throw it out there. Just yeah. Out. Well, we can jump into it a little bit now. I mean, maybe just let's define it for if there's anyone out there who hasn't heard of it, right? So basically what Little's Law is, it, it, there's a correlation between three three variables, work in progress, cycle time, and throughput. So as your cycle time, well, as your whip work in progress goes up, your cycle time is going to get longer. It's going to take longer to get stuff done the more you're working at it, right? You're dispersing your energy through more things. And the amount of stuff you get done over a period of time is going to go down. Yeah. So the alternative is if you want more stuff done is either work harder or decrease your work in progress. And so you can decrease your work in progress. Your cycle times will get shorter and your throughput will go up. And then there's a caveat, right? I think I'll let Daniel actually, cause there's some math there. Like when you get down to the very low numbers where like there's some nuance to that. And I, and I would, I'll actually, I think you probably know it tighter than me. So I'll let you explain that Daniel. Uh, well, no, I, th- I, th- I thought you were doing a great job. Okay. I was, I was loving to see where you, you were going with it. I mean, I don't know if you want to finish your thought or if you want me to jump in now. Or No, I, I, but uh, I think that there's a certain point where, oh, and I'm, I'm, the math isn't coming to me. But it's it, like it, when you get down to like single piece flow, it's your cycle time 
might be really short, but your throughput isn't to the maximum that it can be, right? right? Like there's right, a right. there's a, a there's a breaking point there. Yeah, there, there's a lower limit as well as an, uh, an upper limit, and yeah, and that's so, so the, the the key thing. So well, the key thing <laughs> there's like 16 key things with, with Little's Law, but one one of the, one of the biggest uh, things is the understanding, as you were saying, the understanding of the relationship of the three variables: um, cycle time, work in progress, and throughput. But but the the the, the, the point I want to be very, very pedantic about is it's a relationship of averages. So it's it's average cycle time equals, if you were to read the equation, it's average cycle time equals average work in progress divided by average throughput. Um, and it's a relationship of those, as I was mentioning before, those long-term averages. So most people, if you were to go and just calculate off your board your, you know, your cycle time and your work in progress and your throughput, and you would try to, you, and you would throw them into the equation, you will find. I'd be willing to bet one of you, Jeff's life on this. You will find that that equation will not work out. And people, people, people look at that and they freak out like, oh, Little's law doesn't doesn't work, right? Look, here's all my data and it doesn't work out. And there's so many reasons why that doesn't work out. Uh, one of the biggest reasons is, you know, it's it's a relation, it's it's a it's a relationship of long term averages, um, and actually looking at relationships of averages is is fundamentally flawed on a lot of levels. Um, and I wish we could get into the flaw of averages too. Are, they, are these the tangents that you what you want? Yeah, to this is just kind of <laughs> no. Uh, oh, I got a question. How, when you say long term, what is long term? A week, exactly. a month, a, a year? Exactly, exactly. I mean, it's, it's totally, totally context dependent. It's, it's arbitrarily. He, he, I think he literally says in the proof, it's, it's got to be an arbitrarily long period of time. So, in, in your context, a month might be long enough, or two months, or six months, or two weeks. You know, we, we, we just, we just really, really don't know. But assuming that we have several things in place for, for Little's Law to hold, then, then Little's Law becomes this guide. It becomes, it's essentially the instruction book of how you should be running your process because there's, there are all these assumptions that have to be in place for Little's Law to work. And you know that anytime you violate one of these assumptions, bad things are going to happen to you from a flow perspective. One of those assumptions is one, one we just talked about, that you're you know, a long-term uh, arrival rate has to roughly equal long-term departure rate, right? That's that's average on average. That's one assumption. You know, another assumption is that the average age of your items in progress should neither be increasing de- or decreasing. And so that's that's this that, that's kind of a key one because most people think that if I have arrival rate and departure rate matched, I'm good. That's everything. I'm I'm really good to go. No, that's just the starting point because now we need to make sure the stuff that's in progress is flowing on average at you know roughly the same age as as things have in the past. Um, so you know that's the, you know that that's another thing. Um, so you know there's there's all kinds of uh, you know uh, well I shouldn't say all kinds. There's five assumptions. There's five fundamental assumptions that need to be met, and we know, like I said, at any given time, if we violate those assumptions, there's probably some bad things that are going to happen to us. And the problem is most teams that I work with. They violate them all the time, and they don't even know that they're doing it, right? Just they just don't have a clue, but they are, and then they wonder why. Why is my process so unpredictable? You know. So, I was, go ahead, Jeff. No, 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 go for it. All right. Well, I, I I heard two, which was the arrival rate has to roughly match the the departure rate. All the items should be aging at um, uh, roughly the same uh, lifespan, if you will. Right. Yep. What are the other three? The other three, yes. Okay, so the other three, and you're you're quizzing me now. Right? That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> um, the the first the first one is one that that 
it seems it seems silly, um, but so many people overlook this, and it's it's again of, of crucial importance. It's that all the all the units have to match. So if you're if you're measuring cycle time in days, then you have to measure throughput in days, and you have to measure whip in days, right? I can't tell you how many teams will want to measure, you know, cycle time in days, but throughput in weeks, or God forbid, throughput in story points, right? And then they want to plug stuff into Little's law, and they wonder why that, you know, the Mars orbiter has slammed into the side of the planet because you know we forgot to convert units. Um, so yeah, all the units have to be consistent. That's 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 fundamental. So that's that's generally speaking number one. So there's units have to be consistent. Arrival rate roughly equal departure rate. Um, age um, is neither increasing nor decreasing. Um, the the, the whip. fourth, sorry, go ahead. Whip, not increasing or decreasing. Yep, right? that's that's the fourth one. And the fourth one, uh, I, I I debate this a lot. I've got you know because <laughs> I don't have anything better to do. So I get I get together with friends and we drink and we debate little slaw. Um, it's. Assuming all the other four hold this one about whip is ne- neither increasing or decreasing, I don't know how you can have that not happen, right? I mean, but but that but that is the fourth one, is that you know over over the over the um, time frame of the calculation that your whip but is roughly neither neither increasing or decreasing. But it's really large variances, isn't it? Of whip, like you wouldn't want it to it's go average. from like it's average, uh, yeah, 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 okay. yep, yep, it's average, yep. Um, and then the uh, the last one, which is. Probably the one I think that gets violated the most that no one really ever pays attention to. Age might be, but the the last one is um, everything that enters your process needs to exit your process normally, right? They can't it can't get lost, right? You just can't randomly if something's in the middle. We're like, oh, okay, we're not going to work on that anymore. Um, it still has to exit the process. Um, it, it, you know, it just cannot get lost. And so, you know, anytime a team will just like, hey, we're working on something and ah, we don't want to work on that anymore. And they just delete it. And I'm like, uh, you know, it freaks me out. You know, I was like, no, uh, because there's so many better ways to handle that exiting the process, uh, you know, so that we can understand what's 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 really going on. So or staying in the process. Right. Like if they just say, let's just keep iterating, but not releasing and keep working at it. Well, eventually you got to leave or it's not yep. going to work out. Right. And, and then you will see, you'd see that reflected in age, right? Because if yep. it's sitting there forever, then that's going to bring up the, the, you know, the overall average age of, of your process. So <laughs> those are the five. Um, and there will be a quiz <laughs> later. Awesome. Good thing. I've been taking notes here. <laughs> so uh, I, one of the other questions that I had um, when we were, you know, before we hit the record button here, you were, I want to say recently, maybe a few months ago on an episode of Agile.fm, and it was it was a great listen, um, super cool stuff on there. But one of the things you were talking about um, was confidence intervals and what those actually do for you. And I can't remember if this was the way you phrased it or I stole it and I, and I started articulating it a little, a little bit differently. But nonetheless, uh, when I'm explaining it to people, I, I, I just say... Think about this. It's it, it's Friday evening, um, and you're thinking, "Ooh, tomorrow would be a great day to go on a picnic with the family." So you decide to pull up in the weather app, and the weather app says 10% chance of rain tomorrow. You think to yourself, "10% chance? That's not a big deal. Maybe I'll bring an umbrella." But other than that, we're willing to take that risk. No big deal. Maybe you pull open the weather app and it's 50% chance of rain. Ooh, that's pretty risky there. I don't, maybe we should have a backup plan. Maybe we go see a movie instead of going on a picnic with the family. You know, we'll, we'll kind of play uh, by ear tomorrow, but 50%, we better have something else going on. And then maybe the last scenario is you, you open it up and it's 90% chance of rain tomorrow. 
well, screw that. We're not going to go on the hike, you know, or the, the picnic or whatever. Let's, let's stay in and watch a movie or something like that. And what you were articulating there was really the action that the confidence interval is causing. And that's really what the confidence interval is more about. It's the action that you are going to take, the forcing function. And I found that really intriguing. So I, I thought if, if given opportunity was anything to expand on there with it. Uh, I mean, I, you, you, again, you, you know, you, you guys do a much better job of explaining this stuff than I do. I think I, I'm not, I'm not sure that I, that that I have much. Um, other than maybe, maybe we should take a, a little, uh, a step back or two, and and make sure people even understand. You know, wh- why are we even talking about confidence intervals, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, why is why why is why is even that important? Um, and it, it really it really comes down to this idea of. When we're making a forecast, and you know, I, I personally love the example of a weather forecast because it's something, you know, as as you said, it's something that we encounter every single day of our lives. Um, and but when when we're talking about forecasts, when we're talking about forecasting the future, um, the future is inherently uncertain, right? We do, it's 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 not deterministic. We just don't know. We don't know what's 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 going to happen tomorrow, or much less two weeks from now, or even worse, two years from now. We just don't know. There's uncertainty inherent in any forecast that we give. And the second, the second we talk about uncertainty, then we know, hey, there's a science of uncertainty. And that science is called probability or, or statistics or whatever. And that means that whenever we're, we're dealing with something that's uncertain, we have to take a probabilistic approach. You have to. Determinism does not work. It just does not throw it out the window. It does not work. There's no such thing as 100%. It's it's intrinsic. It's intrinsic to what we're trying to do. It's you you just don't get to escape it. Um, and so, but but it's freeing once you once you once you kind of understand that. What's really freeing is you embrace it because now Jeff M. Now we can start taking the uh, the the actions that you're talking about is. It's really all about that assessment of risk, you know, and how much risk are we willing to live with and what actions are we willing to take based on that risk? You know, um, like you said, if 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 you're going to go, if you're planning for a picnic tomorrow, I mean, who wouldn't, you know, especially if it's outdoor, I'm assuming you're doing a picnic outdoor. Does a picnic by definition have to be outdoor? I don't know. That's a good question. But assuming, <laughs> assuming it's outdoor, who wouldn't check the weather and and take some action Based on based on the risk that that weather app is telling you, it's the exact same thing in our world. Exactly the same thing. So if if you're if you're trying to make if you're trying to do planning, trying to do forecasting, trying to do whatever, and you're not and you have no understanding of risk um, and no way to more importantly maybe no no way to quantify that risk, then um, then I, I don't know what you're doing right because uh, you're 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 missing out on a lot of stuff. And so when we talk about confidence intervals, um, one of the tools that I know I use a lot, I think you use a lot, Daniel, Jeff uses, we talk, we talk about this in our talks a lot there, Jeff and I have in the past, is using like a Monte Carlo simulation to simulate the future and then using confidence intervals. Um, and, and we've, you know, made statements like you should never give a date for anything to be done without a confidence interval. There's no reason to ever do that. Like this is so easy to do in 2020. There's nice tools out there that are pretty much free that will let you do this for free. You just got to, you just got to use them. But the thing that is a game changer, because, you know, back in the day when we had waterfall projects and stuff, people would do forecasts all the time. 
and they would go around and they would ask, you know, Jeff, hey, Jeff, uh, how long is it going to take you to, to uh, do the database for that thing? And then they'd go around to the you, Daniel, and they'd say, hey, how long is it going to take you to code that? And then they'd go to me and say, how long is it going to take to test that? And we'd all give them numbers. And they'd be like, they would, yeah, Jeff, how was this? sandbag and Daniel never gives himself enough time and they would adjust them, right? Depending on what they thought. And then they would, um, they put him into some kind of forecasting tool. And so it would be what I think, so a guess, and we'd forecast guesses with, with simulations. What's different, I think, about what we're doing today is we're using data from the past, empirical data, and we're saying, well, based on the past, if a like size work items come through again, this is what we've done before. Here's what will probably happen again with our, you know, the best knowledge we have available and here's some confidence intervals that you have so you can make a business decision on this if it's not that important maybe 50 50 is okay if it is pretty important maybe you want to be at 85 maybe 90 i don't know what your number is but like there's something you want to be there at you know yeah yeah, yeah you're exactly right and if, if i can just tweak one little thing thing yeah. that, that you said because we've taken the train ride around the zoo and we've, we've come back to where we are this is again <laughs> where little's law is so fundamentally important because if, if i heard you and correct me if i'm wrong but if I heard you correctly, you said as, as long as things, you know, are, are similarly sized, the, you know, the stuff that working on the future is similarly sized to stuff is, that's in the past. We don't even need to have that. Don't need, right. Don't even, as long as we are following those assumptions of Little's Law, right? As long as we've got those assumptions in place, we can have, we can accept a pretty wide variance of items that are are, are, are coming through our system. As long as those, those, those assumptions hold, we're probably good. And we were forecasting based off of phases, yeah. you know, back with the waterfall days. Now we're forecasting on this is what it takes to go from the start of something to yeah. it's releasable, right? Which is a totally different thing because everything's visible, right? Which it was in the past. You'd go back with how many bug fixes and yeah. it's done, but it's not tested, you know, and you'd have all the stuff you couldn't see. And so how do you forecast something you don't know about? Yeah. And you don't, you don't have that hopefully anymore. At least you can control that, right? In your forecast yeah. even now. Right. But this is it's it's very it's a very very uncomfortable Move, moving to this world is very very uncomfortable for um, you know more traditional type project managers is potentially very very uncomfortable for our customers because our customers are going to be like I just want a date just give me a date you know because um, that's 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 what they want um, and you know helping them to understand that you know like you said we need to come up with actions based on risk rather than just on a single date it's a, a much um a much more uh, mature is the word that came to came to mind but that that's 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 not right but it is a much more maybe adult type type conversation you know if, if well, it's based off of fact instead of feeling right, right? like I, i've been in these steering committee meetings where it's like someone's head's about to come off because they made a guess of when something was going to happen and that didn't happen and now it's like, hey, it's just math. Like, it's 80%. Like, if we aren't going to hit it, it's the 20. It's the one out of five chance, right? Like, we hit the one out of five. Darn, you know? Like, yeah. we take those odds every time in poker if we're playing it. But, exactly. you know, like... Yeah, not uh, yeah, not not to get too, and I'm sorry, I keep interrupting you guys, but and not not to get not to get too political, and I apologize for using this example, but it's it's a decent example. Is you know in the 2016 election, Nate Silver. If you don't know who Nate Silver is, again, you should really go and re- research Nate Silver. He's he's into predicting elections. Um, gave Trump going into that election, gave Trump a 25 percent chance of winning. You know um, that 25 percent is not zero. Right, twenty five percent. That means one in every four elections, Trump wins. 
you know? Um, and so when Trump won, everybody was like, oh, well, Nate Silver sucks. Nate Silver, he, well, he's, he's not accurate, right? He's not predictable, uh, right? When no, no, he actually, he actually quantified the chances of, of trying. It turns out we either got lucky or unlucky, depending on, on, on your, your own political views. But, you know, he had a, he had a one in four chance of, of winning that. Um, and so now that, the, the problem is that leads to a more philosophical debate on, in terms of, well, did we really just get unlucky or is the model wrong? You know, that's, that's, a much, that's a much, much deeper question. And that's where we need to bring in books like Annie Duke's Thinking and Bets um, and, and th- those types of books um, to evaluate our, you know, our modeling process, our decision-making process to say, hey, is, is this model really, really reflecting reality? Um, but then that brings in what we were talking about before is, it, you know, if we think Trump has a 25% chance of winning the election, what's the proper mitigation or not mitigation strategy? Again, I don't want to get political. <laughs> you know, should, should, should that happen? You know? Um, mm-hmm. so. um, Troy McGinnis said this one time I was, um, I think it was Agile 2018. He was, he was talking about how if you could go back in time, and like, let's just say you're starting today and you say, okay, if we were at three months ago and we wanted to know three months before that even, so six months from today, uh, that was our data. So we had that, you know, six to three month data. We plugged that into our system. Can we predict where we are today or what's going to happen? Like we're like, that was our data. Let's see data from the past. See if we can predict where we are today. Um, would that work? Like, what would that look like? And I think that's not a bad thing to say like, oh yeah, we're pretty close. Like maybe it's. Yeah, I'm not. I'll, yeah, I'll be honest with you. I'm not. I'm not a fan of that back back casting or whatever they call that. Um, I'm, you know, I'm. I'm really not uh, be, because of this concept of of continuous forecasting. I talk a lot about. Did I talk about continuous forecasting last time? So. Yeah. No. Um, so yeah, there there are so many things, so many assumptions. I think that have to be put in place for for backcasting to work. I mean, don't get me wrong. It is it is a tool and it is a, a you know a something to do. But I don't know that if we went back and tried to predict the the you know the the future that we got with data that we had in the past, I don't know that that's necessarily a decent validation or invalidation of of our model. Uh, to be honest with you, but now we're now we're really I think getting into the weeds of of why that may work or. But if, if nothing else, it's a ballpark, right? Yeah. Like if it's yeah. really off, then maybe we do have a problem and maybe we can't, we have a lot of un- instability and we can't do it for whatever well, reason. That's what I was going to say. Or maybe our system fundamentally changed in a way that, yeah. we, that we didn't realize. Um, and so, yeah, um, that, that uh, that's going to require other statistical techniques like statistical process control and, and things like that to understand. Do we really have this stability in our process that we think that we do? Or has our system fundamentally changed to become unpredictable? Right. Oh, we're way down. We got we got we got down in the weeds very very quickly there. <laughs> I don't know. If, I don't know how many people are still listening right now. Um, so no, it's I I am always continually intrigued by all of this stuff, and it's yeah. uh, I, I cards on the table. Like we we use um, you know, the the actionable agile tool for Azure DevOps. Um, so this is stuff that we're we're fairly consistently nerding out <laughs> over at work and and things that we're looking at. So. Um, I guess if we don't get to it, there's another plug for the tool that you've got out there. It's it's awesome. It plugs right into to Azure DevOps, and it makes it just really easy to to, to be looking at this stuff. And it's an excellent opportunity in the sprint retrospective to to pull this stuff open and be taking a look at it. Right. So um, if if nothing else, let's let's at least give you a plug there for that one. <laughs> well, well, thank you for that. But I I, I, I mean sincerely, thank thank you very much. But I, I want to be very clear: is the, the 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 point of the tool, I think, is to 
to hopefully prompt these types of conversations. To me, it's it's not about the data. It's more about the process that that generated the data. And you know, are we are we improving? You know, are we spotting these these opportunities for improvement? And what are we doing with the information that we're getting? You know, I'm I'm not one of these guys that you know just focus on the data, focus on the data, focus on the data. I'm much more interested in the intersection of um, you know of, of data and process um, mm-hmm. because that's that's to me where where we really want to be. Sorry, Jeff. I have one quick question. Just it just came to me. So we've been focusing a lot around metrics, the data for the system. But I'm curious, do you like is is that all you you look at? Is there anything else from like a product perspective that you're like, ah, oh, here are some some metrics that I also look at, or is it really focused on let's say delivery type metrics? Um, mo- so <laughs> I, I was, I'm trying to think of a, of a of a not rude way to say this. <laughs> um, I uh, just, I'll just say, say it. it. Whatever. I, I most teams that I the vast majority of teams that I go in are just so bad at the fundamentals, the fundamental blocking and tackling that I, I spend all of my time just, just looking at the basics. It's like, we, you know, why would we even start talking about ridiculous stuff like cost of delay and all of these other things if we can't get the basics right, the, the fundamentals right? I mean, if, if, if teams are still looking at story points, we've got a much, much bigger problem then hey, should we be using cost of delay to prioritize based on value, right? I mean, that's you're just you're just so not ready for that for that conversation. You see what I'm saying? So that, I think that's um, there. There are other things that that I you know I've been thinking about and that I've kind of played around with, but I, I seem to spend most of my time just trying to get people away from because I think agile. You know, I've said this so many times. For some reason, people have equated story points with Scrum, which is atrocious. Um, and that has just set the industry back so, so far, a, a decade or more, I think. And so just, just working to get to un, unwind that is a full-time job. Mm-hmm. But they have to know that there's an alternative and it has to yeah. be easy enough that they can understand. And I think that's where a lot of uh, clients that I've worked with run into problems is it's not easy. You know, they'll spend days trying to get data out of a tool and then try to do what you're doing in like actual agile and it's just not the same and they don't quite get to what they were looking for and so they settle for something and they're like this doesn't quite give me what i want so i'm going to go back to story points because at least gave me something but and so i think that's a problem that a lot of people find yeah yeah yeah. sorry 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 i keep i keep jumping in and i keep i keep drowning out i'm sorry i'm sorry but my i get why, why i get frustrated with that is but look at it from your customer's perspective. You know, uh, you know what's not easy. Go explain a story point to a CFO. You know, go explain a story point to your end user. Yeah, they don't have a clue what what a story point is, nor should they. But if we start talking about cycle time and throughput, like how how long does it take me to get something done? How many things can I get done? That's stuff that they fundamentally understand. So I don't know. I've never. I just never really bought into the the whole. Well, story points are easier. Uh, I don't know who you're talking to, but the people I'm talking to, it is definitely not easier. It's actually much, much, much harder, um, and it doesn't really give us a result that we're looking for, which is even worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, we 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 talked about this a little bit last time, but I, I do think part of it is what what's your goal. Is, is the goal, like you were talking about, is analysis, essentially. Hey, we're going to use story points to just quickly figure out if we're on the same page with how big this thing is that we're, we're thinking about. If it's really just uh, baseline analysis, awesome. That's a great use of story points. But when we're starting, if the, if the goal is, well, let's forecast when this is going to be done, it's, well, all right, 
let's pump the brakes. We've got a better tool over here for us. And wouldn't it be so great because now we've got all this historical information that we can just use and bring right in and poof that there it answers our question for us. So I think it does depend on like, what, what's your goal? What, what's the yep. point of using these things? Um, uh, tool fit, fit for purpose is what I wanted to throw out there. Absolutely. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I don't have a good segue here, but I, I know like, we, you know, we, we've been nerding out on a bunch of stuff. And one of the, the other things that we definitely wanted to talk about was uh, the ProConBond.org stuff that you're that you're working on. So yeah. tell us more about that. Yeah. So um, how do I, yeah, you, you think I'd be ready for that one too? Uh, you know, I, I've been, uh, I, I've been lucky enough to be a part of the, the Kanban movement or community or whatever you want to call it since, since it's, it's very beginning. And, um, uh, somewhere along the lines, you know, Kanban kind of, kind of lost its, its way. And, um, we don't necessarily need to get into the why or how of that. Um, although I, I do think the why or how is important, but we don't need to necessarily get into that right now. Um, and, and so what, what, what pro Kanban.org is, it's, it's my reaction to, you know, kind of being introduced to the scrum.org community. Cause I got, I got introduced to scrum.org and it's like, you know, this is for the most part, this is what a healthy community is supposed to look like, right? This is what, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, scrum.org is not perfect. And, you know, I mean, there's, there's, there's things that, but it's like, you know, this is, this is how something should, should function. And so ProConban.org is this kind of community driven initiative to, to try and, to try and, kind of take back, steal back, if you will, uh, you know, Kanban for, for what it was intended, you know, for, and implemented for how it was always intended, because I think it's, 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 it's been perverted to be, to be a profit machine for an individual, you know, rather than, um, a learning tool for a community. Um, and so, uh, it's uh, so I, that's why I was, I was just so lucky to be a part of. I think of be, be introduced to Scrum.org because you know it opened my eyes and it kind of inspired me. It's like you know, this is this is how combine used to be, and and we can get get back get that back. So a bunch of us in the community got together and said, okay, let's let, let's do this. And uh, so that's that's what we're doing. It's 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 a, a safe, inclusive, hopefully diverse um, community where people can come and if they want to learn about Kanban, they can, you know, and they, they don't have to worry about, you know, being threatened. I, I'm, I'm, trying, I'm trying to be careful with the, with the, with the words, the words, words that I use, but um, like I said, it's just, just, just a, a safe, inclusive, diverse, diverse community that, that we're going for. So as, as part of that community, just because you were kind of using the, the PST community as a, as a point of reference, um, you know, I, is it just a community? Is it going to have uh, training certifications going through there? Um, and not to put you on the spot, but is there kind of like a, a vision statement or kind of, you know, what, what, what's the three, five year, what's the thing that you're trying to accomplish through, uh, through the organization? Um, well, 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 so, so number one, number one, like I said, if, if, if we can reestablish that sense of community within the, within the, uh, the Kanban movement, you know, if you will, then I will have considered it a success. Certainly as part of that, um, there will be things like training and, you know, assessments for, uh, and the assessment it's, you know, 
people want to focus so much on the certification. I couldn't care less about the certification, but what I really care about is validated knowledge. You know, it's like, um, you know, have have we really learned something, and are are we able to apply it? That's that that's what I really care about. And there, you know, we can talk about the pros and cons, and you know, whether whether assessments work for that or whether they don't. But it's you know, it's 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 a place to start, and so there will be you know, so yes, there will be be all of all of those things. Um, but my, like I said, my 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 vision is more. Um, more like driving. I don't. Know if, I don't know if you guys have heard of of uh, you know Carl Scotland. Um, Carl Scotland's a good, a good friend of mine, and he's been from with the Kanban community from from the very beginning too. And his mantra for the longest time was keep Kanban weird, keep Kanban weird. Um, and that's that's why even even if I don't necessarily because you know there's so many things with Scrum that I don't agree with, but I would never say to somebody from the Scrum community, well, don't come to Kanban because you know you do Scrum and we do Kanban. No, it's like you know we we can we can all learn from each other. Nobody has a monopoly on all the right answers here. So you know if we can learn from Scrum, if we can learn from God forbid Safe, if we can learn from you know all of these other communities, theory of constraints community, whatever you want to talk about. Uh, then I think that's I think that's that's goodness, and that's that's what we should be focused on. So assessments are really good at you know assessing your knowledge. Like, do you have the knowledge? Yes or no. I, we do those at Scrum.org, right? Mm-hmm. Pretty much all training organizations do those. But you said that you wanted to know if somebody could apply it. So how are you going to validate that people can apply uh, this knowledge? Good question. I don't I don't know. That, I don't know. That I have a good answer for that. You know, I I, I don't know. Um, does you think Scrum.org has a good answer for that? Because I've, I've, my, my pattern so far is like, what does Scrum, Scrum.org do? And I just kind of steal. In full transparency, um, I don't know. What do, what do you guys think? What, what works for that? I really don't know. Yeah, I, I think that there's ways to do it. I think that there's um, some proving out of like, hey, what have you done in the past? Maybe getting feedback from peers. I, I think there's more of that community you're talking about that could help to validate it. What I think is interesting is the more you learn that's out there, the more you realize you don't, there's more that so much more that you don't know. And it feeds your hunger to get better and make the world around you better, make your teams better, make your community better that you're a part of, you know, if you're doing this nationally, then maybe your local community gets better because you learn about all these great things, you know, that are, that are possible. And so I think that's what a community can do and can open some eyes. And I think that maybe there's some creative ways uh, to do that. Uh, It's, I, I don't know if we talked about this last time, forgive me if I'm repeating myself, but when I first when I first read the Scrum Guide, and I read it cover to cover for the first time in, I think it was late 2017, um, I, I was amazed because when I read that document, I felt like Scrum talks about flow. They almost talk about flow better than the Kanban community did at the time. But nobody in the Scrum community really talked about flow, even though the Scrum Guide is a flow document. It probably doesn't read like a flow document to most people, but it read like a flow document to me. Everything that we've been talking about in terms of trying to understand risk, in terms of trying to control work in progress, in terms of, you know, let's not make forecasts for, for too long and let's make sure that we're inspecting and adapting on regular intervals. And things. those are all flow concepts, right? Um, and so, yeah, I guess I'm just in, in violent agreement with you that, you know, until you kind of experience all of those other things, you 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 don't know, and you quickly realize that, yeah, wow, um, there there is so, so a lot of other other goodness in the world that we should just make ourselves open to and and available to to learn from. Mm-hmm. So you you dropped a a particular little nugget inside of all, uh, of all that, and I have to dig a little bit deeper here. So what are some parts of Scrum that you don't agree with? Oh. <laughs> 
Um, how much time do we have? Is it- <laughs> um, I'm I I'm not as as the as the Scrum Guide stands right now. Uh, I'm not I'm pers- I'm not a fan of the idea of multiple teams. Um, in in my world, there is one team, right? You know, so this I don't know the it, it's my interpretation that that Scrum kind of sets up a tension between and maybe purposely so between say like the development team specifically and the wider Scrum team in general. Um, and I don't I, I I personally don't like that model. Very much in, in my world, there is there is one team, um, I, and I and be, because of that, um, I wish. So uh, I'm, I'm going to give a shout out to, to Ryan Ripley. Ryan Ripley and I and Steve Porter, as a matter of fact, were were sitting at dinner one night in I can't even remember where it was in Germany somewhere, um, and I was getting their kind of philosophy on on what a, what a scrum master is, and because the scrum master is kind of outside of the team. I feel that that makes the scrum master. Um, uh, I was. Uh, I'm, I'm really struggling with words tonight because you guys, you know, have me do this call at like eight o'clock at night. So, um, <laughs> so I'm really, really, really struggling with words. But maybe um, less, less skin in the game. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. What, 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 like maybe they have less accountability or something like that. Well, what, you know, whatever it is, and it, it, it makes their job that much challenge, much more challenging. And so, and you guys oh. know this to get. To get to get a really really good scrum master, actually per the scrum guide, is infinitely hard. I mean, that's really 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 hard to do. Yeah, um, I think I'm, where you're going with they don't have any authority, so they have to influence without authority, right? Yeah. Like that, um, which it does take a skilled person who understands people and can yeah. read a room and can, yeah. you know, help make things transparent. Now people want to improve, right, in certain yep. ways, right? Yep. And I don't, I you know, I don't, I don't know if, if Ken and Jeff would like the way that I would practice Scrum, but the the parts of Scrum that I really, really like that I wish would be, be emphasis more is a lot of people seem to miss the fact, at least by my experience, that where the Scrum Guide says, you know, coming out of sprint planning, we only need to have enough stuff to get the team going, right? In terms of that planning, in my world, sprint planning would take probably two minutes. All right, let's come up with a goal. What's what's the first couple of things that we need to get going? Let's go, right? I mean, that's and I don't know if that's how it's supposed to be intended, but that's that's certainly how how I would do sprint planning and to me that's that's in full compliance with the with the scrum guide, you know, you know myself. And I um, I think we should be more more open to that kind of more just in time, just in time planning, just in time forecasting, just in time time, whatever, you know, and, you know, we, we can have philosophical debates about whether you should have carryover work between sprints and things like that, you know, and, you know. And so, like, I think that's a myth that's out there, like, you can't have carryover work. Like, yeah. I, I, so, it doesn't say this in the Scrum Guide, but oh, so, yeah. I might want to pull my car, PST card here, but, like, I, there's teams where we're talking about, like, what are we going to do, and they're doing a, um, we're talking about changing our cadence, and it's a two-week, it's a one-week cadence right now, but everything works really well except for the planning because a lot changes with what the customer demands and they are very close to their customers, like day-to-day close to customers. And so planning out two weeks with those customers just isn't realistic. Like they need to plan every week with the customers. And so um, we're going to do, I think, every all the all the events at two weeks except we're going to do planning every week. We're going to do a main planning and then we're going to plan what we can and then we're going to replan the next week based off of what we know. And I have no problem with that. I Why think not? that's a great... I think it's perfect for that situation. So, yeah, the the blog post I went to write, if I ever get around to it, but but to me, the two most important words in the Scrum Guide are at least. 
at least. It's either sprint goal or at least, but I'm going to go with at least. Um, and this is something I learned from Steve Porter, you know, as a matter of fact, is, you know, most people think that in Scrum, you, you have to do, you do, you only do planning once and it's at the beginning of the sprint and you only do retrospectives once and yes. it's at the end of the sprint. And that's not true at all. You, yep. it's just, you have to do these things at least once during the sprint when you do them. Um, I mean, I mean, there's certain things that have to have to happen at certain times, but there's nothing to say you can't do them multiple times. Like we can't. There's nothing to say we can't plan multiple times. There's nothing to say we can't retrospect multiple times. Mm-hmm. There's nothing to say that we can't release multiple times. Right. Right. That's, that's very much in keeping with Sprint. I or with Scrum. I think. Yeah, I was. I was just going to throw out there real quick, uh, like point of reference. Granted, we have one week sprints, but uh, our our sprint planning literally just the other day was ten minutes long. So you know, we just walk into there. Hey, is is everything? Is this about what we're going to be working on? Everybody understand? Cool. Let's let's go and beyond. Uh, get start getting work done. So uh, I, I think the the other thing to to add on to your at least once. Uh, also, just remember time boxes. That's simply the maximum amount of time something can yeah. go. There's nothing wrong with taking less time to get yeah. these things done. That, sorry, that just brings me back to something else I remember. I, I, th- I think I had this. I keep throwing Steve Porter under the bus, but he doesn't mind. I'm going to keep. He's Canadian, so we, 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 we. <laughs> he'll be fine with it. But you, you, you get you guys are PST, so you can help me out with this. Um, uh, so the the Scrum Guide Scrum Guide says how long for sprint planning? What's what's the time box for for sprint planning? Eight hours for Eight. a one-month sprint. Yep. And what, what's the time box for review and retrospective? Four and three for yeah, a one-month so sprint. So it actually allows more for planning than it does for review, and that 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 seems that seems backward to me, right? We should we should we should be learning more than we should be planning. Um, that's so that's another thing that's kind of you know kinda seems 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 not quite right, Im- imbalanced for me anyway. But. Mm-hmm. That's, and I would say, like, uh, another typical thing, a lot of teams don't show metrics or they don't talk about that. I think that's something that we can learn from something that's pretty normal on Kanban teams to, to share those metrics with stakeholders and talk about what's happening. And so I do that with yeah. teams that I'm working with. Like, I think it's a good thing, good practice. And, you know, I, 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 you know, Scrum was designed as a framework, and I think that's wonderful. Um, the, the problem is, and this is not Scrum's fault, but it, 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 it created that kind of vacuum because we're supposed to be acting empirically and we're supposed to be inspecting adapting but the framework itself doesn't really give us many tools to be able to do that and so like i said it kind of created that vacuum and here came along story points and you know all of this stuff that kind of filled that vacuum which was i'm un- un- very 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 unfortunate uh because like i said that's 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 where we we get into trouble um but uh, so a couple of things go back to where you said uh you know i'm not sure about this thing like the separation of the teams. I think it's more of like separation of responsibilities. Like everyone's accountable for delivering value to the customer. Mm-hmm. How they do that, everyone kind of has different controls. And I like to think about where we came from, right? Like we came from a very yeah. maybe command and control, top-down oriented culture in a lot of organizations. And managers told you exactly what tasks to do, when to do it, how to do it. And this is saying, no, 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 let the people that do the work figure that out. Let's separate that responsibility and the people that are going to figure out what's important to be working on. You figure that out over here and just order that from an outcome based, you know? So I think that's what they're trying to separate. And then for the scrum master, like I've seen teams where, you know, what continuous improvement isn't that important because the day-to-day stuff and the pressures they're feeling from the organization rules the day. And so then they'll never go learn about flow metrics. They'll never go learn about the correlation and Little's law. They'll, that's just not their profession. That's not the thing that they're passionate about. So without that person, that's like, I really care about this stuff on the team and I'm, and I'll be that, you know, that change agent, that person that does all this research that can bring that back to the team. 
a lot of teams miss that. And it'd be awesome if everybody had that knowledge and that hunger, but it's just in reality, it doesn't happen all the time. I don't think. Yep. It's ab- ab- absolutely true. So, um, but I think hopefully what we've highlighted in this conversation is um, how well the, the two things, the, the Kanban thing and the scrum thing, how well they work together. And if you're, mm-hmm. if you're focused on, are we doing scrum or are we doing Kanban? Um, that's, that's probably the wrong wrong conversation, the wrong thing to be focused on. It's, it's more like, um, how, how can we do both? How can we do both professionally? Because mm-hmm. And that, that's, a, that's another wonderful thing that I love about Scrum is, is bringing this idea of professionalism, professionalism to the, I, just, I can't even tell you how much I love that, which is one of the reasons why we called Pro Kanban, Pro Kanban, because we want to embrace this idea of professionalism. But so, so yeah, how do we do both of these things? How do we combine them together and, and do them professionally? I just think that's, that's where we really, really need to go as a community, I believe. So would you say, uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but uh, if you're doing a Kanban team and you've always been a Kanban team, maybe you should look at Scrum and say, what can we steal from Scrum? And I would say for Scrum teams out there, if you've never done Kanban, you should be looking at Kanban saying, what can I steal from Kanban and in my Scrum team? Because it's only going to make you better. Yeah. And again, forgive me if I said this before. I know I say this all the time and I sound like a broken record, but... You take a really, we're going to use this word mature again, whatever that means. I don't even know what that word means. But if you take a really, really, really mature scrum team and you take a really, really mature Kanban team, a lay person looking from the outside, I would argue, would not be able to tell the difference between those two teams. Yeah. I, fundament, I fundamentally believe that. They just would not be able to tell. Yep. Um, that's that's, that, those, that's my, my two cents. A lot of people, I think, would like to debate me on that, but... I really, I really believe it because scrum people naturally gravitate to flow. Understanding the flow is one of the best ways that you get predictable um, and, you know, um, within the scrum framework um, and Kanban people realize that, you know, there's, there's importance to, to cadence and, you know, think, things like that. There's a lot of benefit to, to be had with, with, with those types of concepts. Um, and we need, Hey, you know, it'd probably be helpful if we had somebody who was responsible for, or to help facilitate, you know, coaching the team and teaching the team and process excellence and all these things. That role is probably fairly important. You know, there's probably important that we have somebody who's looking after the product, you know? The, so anyway, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir now, I believe, I hope. Yes. <laughs> so what's, so tell us a little, just, I'm looking for a little bit more detail on the pearlcombine.org. So what, what do you have right now? So right now that I've seen classes out there, Yep, we, we, no yeah, we, we, yep, we've just started launching just started launching classes just within the past. Uh, we did our first pilot class at the end of July. More and more classes are coming online. We've got our first cohort of trainers. I'll call them a cohort of trainers. We've got our first cohort of trainers, you know, coming online. So we'll be we'll be publishing more and more classes uh, in the coming weeks. Um, there is an if, if you go to procombon.org, you can see all these things. By the way, there's some some learning resources out there. We've already got a list of blogs. We've got a, a, a guide that has been published. Um, but a list of blogs in support of those guides if you want to, want to learn kind of more pure Kanban, whatever, whatever that means. There's an open assessment to start kind of, kind of getting a feel for, for where your knowledge is right now. I'm hoping in the next month or so, right? This is me making my forecast, right? This is how I make my forecast, by the way. <laughs> um, in the next month or so, the, the, the real proper assessment will, will be out there. So we'll have, you know, hopefully we'll have the, the whole suite of things and just kind of gradually gradually increment from there, you know, in the, in the coming weeks. So it's, it's exciting time, but if anybody's ever built a community from scratch, it's 
hopefully you understand it's, it's a lot, a lot of work. And of course, everybody's got an opinion. Everybody's got an opinion on, on you know, what it should be and, and all that. But We wouldn't know anything about that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. You've never, never been to a scrum.org face-to-face or anything like that, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, but it's good. It's 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 a lot of fun, and and I'm hoping. I'm mean, already we're already you know hoping. I'm I'm just hoping that this will drive more more integration rather than separation. More integration between the two communities. That's 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 another win. I think if 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 we mm-hmm. that. Oh, that's awesome. So this has been a great conversation, Danielle. Um, at this time, is there anything you want to plug? I mean, what were you got some net new classes coming out for the Pro Combine? Like what? When can people like actually take a pro Kanban class with Daniel Vacante? Um, I don't. I'm, try, I'm trying to think if I have any on the calendar. I'm. 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 I'm um, I mean, you can certainly reach out to me. I don't know that I really have any on the calendar. I'm, I'm okay. really hoping. Like I said, I'm hoping this is more of a community thing. Um, I don't necessarily want to see it as a, as a Dan thing, but I'll I'll be around and I'll be. I'm sure I'll be be giving giving classes and things like that. But maybe hopefully, you know, all of us could partner on on a class someday or, or something like that. I think yeah. that, it's it's that type of thing. I think that would be more interesting to me rather than me just giving a class on my own. That'd be great. Thank you for listening to the Agile Wire. We are consistently inspecting and adapting ourselves. We would appreciate feedback at feedback at theagilewire.com or on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play Store. See you next time.